Boy, this episode is on something that hit me near and dear, SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. If you have any GI issues that just seem to not go away, you might think you're just food intolerant. Uh, who knows, gluten insensitive, uh, leaky gut, whatever it is that you're having trouble with, it may SIBO find out on this show. Also, you're going to hear about a revolutionary breakthrough, perhaps, we're testing it in my doctor group, uh, for severe SIBO, which to date has been extremely difficult uh, to resolve. But this may be your problem, and there may be a hidden solution. Check out this show with William Davis. Wow, man, what a guy. Wheat belly? Yeah, that's the guy. Check out the show. Hey, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cyto Detox. Look, podcasts cost money. There's a lot of production uh, going around this, but uh, we are grateful to have Cyto Detox as one of the sponsors. It's so easy for me to talk about the product because myself and my family use it constantly as we practice what I preach. For over 15 years, I've talked about and taught doctors and the public about cellular detox. And I'll tell you, Cyto was a breakthrough. Cyto was a breakthrough for us. Um, and it's changed so many lives. So we're grateful that they sponsor Cellular Healing TV. It makes sense, doesn't it? They should. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing Cyto Detox product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit detoxoffer.com. Again, that's detoxoffer.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today I'm excited to introduce Dr. William Davis, cardiologist and author of the number one New York Times bestselling Wheat Belly series of books, and more recently, the ultimate gut healing book, Super Gut. Dr. Davis is here to teach us about SIBO and how a disrupted microbiome can be expressed as chronic physical and mental health conditions. This is a fascinating topic we just can't learn enough about. So let's welcome Dr. William Davis and of course, Dr. Pompa. Welcome both of you. Thank you. Glad yeah. to you both. <clears throat> well, hey, look, uh, I'm, it's a pleasure uh, having you here. Uh, I you know, became familiar with you because of Wheat Belly. I mean, it, it really, it, it puts you on the map. And I was someone who promoted Hey, if you have inflammation, you want to feel a little better, start by just eliminating grains, right? I think the, the great thing about Wheat Belly in today's conversation is not Wheat Belly, but you really brought in the history of gluten, right? And why gluten became such a problem, you know, the history of dwarf wheat, the whole thing. And um, I, you were the first to do that. I always give you, even to this day, credit for that. You brought it to the map. Appreciate that. Thank you. Now, today's topic is one that resonates so deeply with me because I've suffered from SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And if you don't know what it is, haven't heard of it, oh, you will. Because uh, Dr. Davis and myself agree that this is now a massive epidemic spreading like wildfire. We're gonna tear down why? We're gonna tear down some solutions uh, that we have found. And uh, I think, um, he has a, an amazing perspective on this. We are currently with my doctor group testing some of uh, Dr. Davis's um, 
theories, some of the things that he's found works, um, and that's why he is on this show. Mine came from a chronic infection in my mouth that went to my gut, and man, this woke me up to how many people today think they have just food intolerance or think they have this gut problem or that gut problem. Maybe it's IBS because most of that is in fact SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. I have to start with this question. Uh, Bill, not many of us doctors, even in this space, really understand this condition or you know, just the how, um, how many people have this, right? I mean, this, this epidemic, what got you here? How did you land here? Well, you know, so I see uh, fairly miraculous changes in health just by, as you point out, going wheat and grain free yeah, and then addressing some common nutrient deficiencies that are unique to modern life, not from the diet, but from modern lifestyles like magnesium. We all have right. to filter our water, removes all magnesium, magnesium. And that has real health implications like high blood pressure, muscle cramps and heart rhythm disorders and osteoporosis. So we add magnesium. We don't get enough omega-3 fatty acids because modern people don't like the idea of eating the brains of animals anymore. We can't eat all the fish we want because of mercury. Can't eat all the shellfish we want because of cadmium. So we yeah. place a handful of nutrients that all contribute to reversing this common situation of uh, insulin resistance. And I, we all, I also included basic efforts to rebuild the microbiome, uh, um, high-potency, multi-species probiotic, fermented foods, prebiotic fibers. And even then, people would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I've lost 47 pounds. I'm no longer type 2 diabetic. I feel great, but I'm still intolerant to these 18 foods. And Bill, I, still- I mean, to your point, though, I give... Some of these people go, I can't take prebiotics. I probi- These flare me up. This flares me up. And that's often a sign that they do, in fact, even have SIBO, right? Because if I took mm-hmm. a prebiotic, forget it. You know, I mean, I'm bloated. My stomach's out to here. <laughs> or, or as you point out, intolerance is the probiotics, intolerance is the prebiotics, intolerance yeah. is the fermented foods. So it, it was clear there was something else that was missing, even though we took steps right. to try to rebuild the microbiome. That's right. when I started to ask, could the answers be in the microbiome? And yeah, there's a ton of answers. And thankfully, the science has progressed so vigorously, so fast, that some of the answers are coming at us at lightning speed. Um, but as, as you point out, um, one of the things I did, very simple, I went back through all the studies that asked questions like this. Of the 65 to 70 million people with irritable bowel syndrome, in the US, what proportion in the studies tests positive for SIBO? Hydrogen gas in the breath tells you have SIBO. And most studies, it varied 24%, some studies 84%, so around 40%. So 40% about of 60 to 70 million people, well, that's 20 some million people right there with SIBO. People with fatty liver, fatty liver is now epidemic. Half the population in the US, half has fatty liver. And we know that 50% of those people have SIBO, that test positive for hydrogen gas in the breath. So that's if half the population in the US, which is 150, 160 million, half of that, about 75, 75 million more people with SIBO go through all the diseases, fibromyalgia, food intolerances, type 2 diabetes, obesity, autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative, add all those numbers up. There's some overlap, of course obese type two diabetes with fatty liver, for instance, but you add it up, you easily, 
easily exceed 100 million people in the in this country conservatively. I think that's too conservative. Yeah. I think it's easily 150 million people or one out wow. of two people. Wow, that, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I kind of want to back up because I'm thinking here, thinking of sitting here thinking of my viewer. And because the reality of this, that you and I both agree on that most people have this and don't even know it, having even heard of it, and most doctors even haven't heard of it, let alone diagnose it. Tell, give a very simple explanation of what SIBO is. I Meaning, we're talking about small intestinal bacteria. We're going to, what does that even mean, right? You know, and then we'll get into some of the you know, causative factors. You know, but I mean, again, you mentioned hydrogen, the breath, and that's one of the tests you can do. But like, people are like, what does that mean? Like, so give a quick explanation. Sure. So people have been exposed to a number of factors that have killed off healthy microbes, mostly antibiotics. Most people by age 40 have gotten 30 courses of antibiotics. But there's other factors also like glyphosate in Roundup, the herbicide Roundup. Glyphosate is an herbicide, but it's also an antibiotic, uh, but it selects for unhealthy species. And there's uh, other herbicides, other pesticides, emulsifying agents in ice cream, and salad dressing like polysorbate 80, synthetic sweeteners like sucralose and aspartame, other drugs, stomach acid blocking drugs, non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs, birth control pills, um, statin cholesterol drugs, we, uh, heavy metals, uh, industrial compounds. It's so many things, but one of the consequences is killing off potentially beneficial species, hundreds of them. And these are wonderful microbes that did wonderful things for us. We've lost them. And then when you do that, they perform kind of a, a, a almost like a policing function. When you lose those good guys, the bad guys, mostly stool microbes like E. coli, Shigella, Citrobacter, as well as Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, Enterococcus, all proliferate. But the crazy thing is they have also now ascended up into the 24 feet of small bowel, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But it means 30 feet of unhealthy, mostly stool microbes. Uh, now, they only live for a few hours. They don't live for years, live only for a few hours. When they die, many of them release their byproducts from their cell wall, and it gets into the bloodstream. And that's the very important process of endotoxemia. But it now, now we know, with good research, how SIBO, 30 feet of microbes, can be experienced in the skin as rosacea, psoriasis, or eczema, or in the brain as dementia, or Parkinson's disease, or depression, or in the joints and muscle as fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis. But uh, uh, as you know, we've got to re-examine virtually all chronic, common chronic diseases, high blood pressure, coronary disease, atrial fibrillation, depression, <laughs> dementia, oh. in light of this phenomenon. So, I mean, let me just say it even a different way because it's worth saying twice. These guys that are nasty sometimes, right? In the, in the large intestine, um, you're, you can deal with them. You have other microbes that almost keep them in bay. They end up in the small intestine where there's not as great of mucous membrane, frankly. It's a single layer, I believe, as opposed to a double layer in, in the large intestine. But they end up creating holes, they end up creating inflammation, they end up getting through, creating an endotoxic situation, meaning toxic from the inside out, and thereby leading to skin problems, thereby leading to other problems throughout the body that people are chasing down those symptoms. And meanwhile, it could be 
because they have these guys that do not belong in the small intestine, in the small intestine. Now, let me ask you a question, because sometimes it's not even bad guys. Sometimes it's good guys that just in certain numbers that are great in this large intestine end up in the small intestine and still cause problems because the gas comes from these bacteria eating fiber. That's what they do, right? They eat fiber and it's part of um, how we get energy. It's part of how we function actually. But when they do that in the small intestine, boom, we get the bloat, right? So what about that? So we have small guys or these uh, good guys maybe that get up there. In general, bacteria that belong in the large intestine end up in the uh, small intestine. And let's talk about all the ways they end up there. That's what, if I was listening to this, I'd be like, okay, great. How do they get there? Why do they get there? And then what can we do about it? It's probably all boils down to the shift in species. That is, we lose these kind of traffic cup microbes, mm-hmm. uh, all the good they did. And because they produce factors, they compete. They produce factors that suppress some of the unhealthy species. So uh, now what, what do we do about it? That's, the, that's one of the problems. You know, we could do, you, you hate to think about antibiotics because antibiotics got most people here in the first place, but you could, as you know, there's an antibiotic called rifaxin or zyfaxin. It's not very effective. Maybe efficacy of 25, maybe 60%. There are things you can do to increase efficacy, uh, typically not passed on by your typical gastroenterologist. There are some herbal solutions. Only two have been subjected to any kind of formal scrutiny, uh, but they work. We've used them. They work. The candibactin regimen, the FC side of this biocide regimen. But, you know, I asked a different question. I asked this question. If you have SIBO, 30 feet of microbes, living and dying, rapid succession, as you point out, an area that has a single layer, much more fragile mucus barriers compared to the double layer of the colon. Well, what if you took a probiotic, a commercial probiotic? Will, will a SIBO go away? No. no. Right? <laughs> you might get a little reduction in bloating, a little reduction in diarrhea, but it won't go away. And sometimes it makes it worse. Sometimes it makes it worse. Exactly. Yeah. So I asked, what if we chose microbes instead that colonize the upper GI tract? That's where SIBO occurs. What if we chose species that are the best at producing so-called bacteriocins? These are natural antibiotics that some microbes produce effective against the species of SIBO. So I chose three. I chose a strain of lactobacillus gasseri, the BNR17 strain. A uh, strain of lactobacillus ruteri uh, and a, a strain of bacillus coagulans. I co-fermented them. Now this gets a little confusing. We make yogurt out of it, but it's not yogurt like the store. Right. <laughs> okay. So we ferment for extended periods because, uh, for instance, ruteri, lactobacillus ruteri, doubles every three hours. They don't have sexual reproduction like like humans. They have asexual reproduction. One microbe becomes two. Two becomes four. Well, Rotori, for instance, doubles every three hours. So if you did like they did in the factory making yogurt and, and only allowed it to ferment for four hours, you'd get nothing. So we ferment for 36 hours mm-hmm. and we get around 250, 260 billion counts of bacteria. So we're increasing bacterial counts many, many, many fold by doing extended fermentation. And you know what? It's delicious. It tastes great with some blueberries or something. So we eat, consume a half a cup a day. And so far, what I call SIBO yogurt, 95, 90% of everybody who's done this has tested negative for SIBO. 
Uh, and that's another issue. So what we're doing is using this device, the air device. Yeah. To test for H2 gas. So we're, we're people test positive. They do the SIBO yogurt for four weeks. Uh, now here's the confusion twist. Uh, Rotori, one of the good microbes, also produces hydrogen gas and colonize the upper GI tract. So you have to actually stop the yogurt, wait two weeks, and then test to see if you're negative. A little confusing. I wish that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. Can't do anything about it. <laughs> but so far, 90%. We will do a formal trial to validate this. Um, but so far, about 35 people have done it. 90% have tested negative. So, you know, if, if, if we said the solution is colectomy, <laughs> removing your colon or some other awful thing like exploratory laparotomy, we've got to be damn confident that we uh, know what we're doing. But what if the solution is a yogurt? Right. Now, it's a simple solution you can make at home. Three bacteria uh, in your book. As a matter of fact, you have your book. Hold your book up. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and, you know, you give the bacteria in the book, just for people listening. There it is right there. Super gut. And um, you tell exactly how to make it in your own kitchen. And my doctors right now, as I said at the top of the show, we're, we're all doing this process. We're experimenting with our hardest cases. And we might have to do a part two on the show, but I wanted to bring you on ahead of time just to announce what we were doing. But okay, I, I do have a question though. So the, um, the rotary uh, bacteria that you put in there, you said produces hydrogen gas. There's a type of bacteria called archaea that feed from hydrogen gas, which is kind of always the weird thing, right? Because you kill off one and then you can almost increase another, right? Or, you know, so how do you combat the archaea that may be there that potentially could feed um, off the hydrogen gas and become stronger and more nasty. Uh, do you have a method? As you know, the science behind the uh, archaea is so preliminary, it's hard to know. By the way, the newest version of the air device, this is the old one. The new one's black, but mine's in the kitchen. But it looks the same, but it's, it's black. Also measures methane gas. So that's how you identify uh, methanogen overgrowth, like right. Methanobrevibacter smithii. Um, there, you, there's a little bit of evidence that um, the conventional antibiotic, rifaximin, may be combined with neomycin, which is a toxic antibiotic. That There's some evidence for efficacy of that combination. There's a little bit of evidence for the candibactin ARBR regimen may work. Um, there's one study suggesting that lactobacillus rotori can, but I'm not so sure I believe that because I'm not seeing that ha play out in real life. I'm not seeing people get rid of their, their uh, methane measurements with the rotori. So I'm a little skeptical that that's true. I wish it was true, but I don't think it is true. Beyond that, I don't know. We don't have enough science to know uh, how to get rid of I, I, Here's my suspicion though. One thing is not clear. Does slow transit cause methanogen overgrowth? Or does methanogen overgrowth cause slowed transit, constipation? And it's my suspicion that people who allow slowed transit to occur may be encouraging methanogen overgrowth. And part of the solution may be something like magnesium for yeah. an osmotic effect. Yeah, so um, to interpret what Doc's saying is, is there's a theory that these particular bacteria, these methane producers cause constipation. But he's saying, 
perhaps constipation is allowing them to increase. Is that kind of what you're saying? And if we deal, help the constipation, maybe we can keep those guys lower. And of course, it doesn't hurt to not yeah. be constipated and have more rapid transit. Right, right. It's, it's an odd thing. You know, when we look at these studies, I, I would these researchers great credit for studying the stool the, uh, of the of indigenous populations like people living in the jungles of New Guinea or the east coast of Africa or the jungles of the Brazilian rainforest. I mean, go in and ask these people for their stool. <laughs> I give these people credit. When you look at those microbiomes, they're filled with methane producers, mm. much more than wheat. So, so it makes you wonder, is it the methane producers that are a problem or is it the context they occur in? That is the broader microbiome. So I think that's, that's where the science is kind of heading. It's that the methanogens themselves may not be the problem. No, I agree. Maybe the company they keep. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and again, people, there, there's specific SIBO bacteria that cause these methane gas, right? Still causes massive bloating. By the way, the number one sign of SIBO is bloating sometime after meals. And for me, by the way, it wasn't, rarely was it right away. It was hours away, which means mm -hmm. my low, it was the bacteria were in my lower small intestine, right? And it was very difficult to actually test. When I did breath tests, they were negative, right? Now, back then we didn't have that device. We were just using a breath test. Sorry, my dogs are barking. Send it to the lab. But the, the point is though, is that they would say that the methane producers, you know that you have them if you have constipation. If you have the um, the hydrogen producers, you know, you have because you have diarrhea, <laughs> but it's, you know, I, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, I don't know um, how easy that is. Yeah. You made an excellent point, though, and that is timing. It's all about timing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how the air device also works. The, the inventor, Dr. Angus Short, a PhD engineer in Dublin, Ireland, uh, when he first released the device, he built it as a device for navigating a low FODMAPs diet, low yeah. fiber, low sugar diet, people with irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, so I called him when I get, finally got a hold of it in 2019. I said, Angus, that's not, I'm telling this, the inventor what he invented. I said, that's not what it is. This is a mapping device mm -hmm. based on what you point out, the timing of H hydrogen gas release because microbes produce hydrogen gas. We don't produce hydrogen gas. Right. We use it to map where microbes are living. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, producing hydrogen gas is also a normal thing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not a bad thing, just like the meth methane, right? So mm -hmm. uh, again, these bacteria, it's not necessarily the bacteria, it's where they are, their populations, and then they become a, a problem. Um, you know, all of a sudden now we have all these apparent food intolerances, et cetera. You mentioned the low FODMAP diet, it's worth mentioning, right? So by the way, Many people who you know, like know that you have this problem, SIBO, um, have been led to a low FODMAP diet. This is just basically, a, it's a diet that avoids certain carbohydrates that have a certain fiber, really, that ferment easily in, in the small intestine, right? So it's basically eating less of these things. Garlic and onions, I always say, is more diagnostic than even the test. How do you do with garlic and onions? They're super high FODMAP. They ferment very easily. Inulin, which is in a lot of healthy products, if you don't do well with that, you probably have SIBO. So anyways, 
Um, but low FODMAP eating, it, it doesn't fix anything, does it, Bill? It, it really just kind of mitigates the symptoms. And it does work, by the way. I mean, if I eat low FODMAP, I definitely can lower my, like, you know, lower down the symptoms when I had a flare up. Absolutely right. In fact, may make the situation worse long term because what you're in effect doing is starving microbes. But you can't say, I'm going to starve the bad guys and let the good guys eat. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Yeah. So it's kind of like putting a band aid on gangrene. Yeah. The, the problem is still there. In fact, you may make it worse. And yeah. so the whole key, as you know, is to kind of reestablish order. No one's got the full answer exactly how to do this. You know, because you got to wonder, you know, if, if, if the people in the Brazilian rainforest or the jungles of New Guinea have a completely different microbiome, though very similar to each other, thousands of miles apart, uh, should we mimic theirs? But theirs is so different. Probably not. Yeah. We have species they don't have. They have species we don't have. Uh, but it may be partially adapt adaptation to their unique environments. It may be part of our microbiome. It's also an adaptive response. It may be a beneficial thing, yeah. like bifidobacteria in, in children. They need it. Uh, and if they don't have it, they can't digest uh, many of the components of breast milk. So and yet the primitive cultures don't have bifidobacteria. So right. there may be some aspects of our microbiome that are actually beneficial. Okay, so let me just pull out some of the brilliance of what you've done here, right? So to date, we have dealt with killing. To your point, and to my point, killing can work with certain cases, meaning whether it be certain antibiotics specifically, whether it be natural killers, it can work. For severe SIBO, I think it's been pretty much a fail. Um, so your approach now is saying, okay, let's let's do this differently. Let, let's put these specific types of bacteria to bring balance back into the gut, in particular into the small intestine. So you chose three bacteria that really affect the small intestine, you know, more so than the large intestine, fermented them to big numbers, which again, that's why you're doing this at home. That's why you're fermenting 36 hours. And as of right now, you have found that it's affecting at least 90% of these more severe cases. So in a nutshell, that's what you've done. Okay, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, I mean, how hard is it to make this yogurt? Where do you buy these three strains at? That's the challenge is sourcing the three strains. So in my super gut book, I tell you where to go. But so the gastroid BNR 17, we were getting <laughs> from South Korea, the company that actually commercialized that strain. But then Joe Mercola, uh, you know, when you buy from a manufacturer, they'll say something like, Dr. Pampa, you will send it to you, but you have to order 150,000 bottles. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe has the ability to do that. <laughs> right. So he did that. So he's got a product called BioThin, and you just need one capsule. And then we use a strain, the strains. They buy a thin, like T-H-I-N. Yeah, exactly. Now with Reuteri, so one of the things I'm doing is, uh, one of the things we want to do long-term is to choose microbes for optimal effects. So I have a, a mouse trial ready to go. We're going to test various strains of Reuteri to see which one is better at these kinds of effects. In this case, oxytocin provocation, the hormone oxytocin of the hormone of love and empathy, not so much SIBO, but we have a mouse trial ready to go. We're gonna do a, a series of cycles. I wanna know, is there a strain of rotor that's best at these things, mm. but too early. So right now we're using the BioGaia strains 
from a product called Gastrus, G-A-S-T-R-U-S. And that's the uh, 17938 strain, the 6475 strain. And those have worked okay. And then lastly, the um, Bacillus coagulants strain. It's the Ganeden strain, the GBI 36086. It's sold as, uh, I believe it's Shift Digestive Advantage. So you can get it at like Walmart, Target, <laughs> for like 16 bucks. So you need a capsule of each. We uh, put them in, enter the capsule into a bowl. I use organic half and half because it makes them the nicest, thickest. Yeah, yeah my, my, my doctor tried um, different things and she found the half and half worked best. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of health enthusiasts. Don't use raw cream or raw milk. I mean, it sounds healthier, but the bacteria in those compete and you don't get as a good a rise. So it's better to do just organic half and half. Yeah, if you because we're fermenting, that is increasing microbial counts. If your raw milk is contaminated with a little teensy weensy bit of Staphylococcus aureus or Listeria, uh, you can actually die of the yogurt. So we don't want to do that. Yeah, so, or, or if you use raw, you got to preheat it. You got to pasteurize it yourself. In effect, uh, now organic half and half that has been pasteurized is the easiest. It doesn't have to be dairy, by the way. You can use coconut milk, but there's several additional steps you need to go through to to prevent separation. Uh, people will need some kind of device to keep their yogurt. These microbes, different microbes prefer different temperatures. So Rotary loves human body temperature and it dies at about 108, 109 degrees Fahrenheit. But Bacillus coagulans, the spore former, likes 115, 122 degrees Fahrenheit. So how do we do that? So I just chose 106 as kind of a compromise and we're getting good results with 106 degrees. Yeah. But ideally everyone will need a device that you can adjust the temperature and time. A yogurt maker, a sous vide device, an instant pot. Some people use dehydrating device, doesn't matter. Just so long as you can set the temperature and then walk away for many hours. And, and 106, 36 hours. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but you'd also add a prebiotic, um, uh, inulin is, is a choice and then potato starch, right. Um, as a prebiotic that you could use as well to feed mm -hmm. the bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now people with SIBO would go, oh my God, I can't do it. You just said inulin is bad, but it, it obviously gets eaten up. It's the bacteria feed from it. People have really bad SIBO might have to inch into this kind of a process, that is the, yeah, that's exactly right. The prebiotic fiber should not, there shouldn't be much left because the microbes eat. It's like throwing cow manure on your tomato patch. Right. <laughs> you don't, you, when you eat the tomato, you're not eating cow manure. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> that's, a that's a good example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyways, yeah, the point is, I mean, the, you know, inexpensive solution. I'm excited, um, you know, to see these results with, especially with these hard cases. I'm so glad uh, that we, you know, have a doctor group. Um, hey, it's more fun to experiment with people than mice when you have a doctor group that's willing. <laughs> so uh, we we will have some uh, some results from people and mice coming soon. Um, and you said it's a it's a month, right? You know, the month is pretty much you're eating the yogurt for a month. You might get addicted to it, like it, and keep eating it for one month. You know, that's I'm I'm in that direction. Exactly right. It's so benign. And tasty. And there's so much recurrence, as you well know, of SIBO, that I'm seeing more and more people just say, I'm going to eat it all the time. Maybe not every day, 
but maybe every other day, every third day. And it, seemed, it seems to be very effective at preventing SIBO uh, uh, recurrence. Because right. you, you got to wonder, because of those two properties, that is microbes that colonize the upper GI tract and produce bactericins, and we've lost those microbes. Almost nobody, without the yogurt or without a probiotic containing these microbes, almost nobody has lactobacillus rotari anymore. Almost nobody has lactobacillus gasseri anymore, even though they're ubiquitous mm. in these indigenous populations who don't get exposed to antibiotics and in animals, in mammals. So if we were to test a chipmunk or a squirrel or a moose, <laughs> they all have these microbes. We've lost them. You got to wonder, is that the, uh, the, one of the underlying causes for the um, epidemic of SIBO? I, you know, I've asked that question and you might be onto something, right? So, I mean, do we know for sure? No, but I think it's a good theory because something, I mean, in mine, it was very sudden, um, you know, these oral microbes, which are extremely nasty, probably, if your theory is correct, really, you know, killed off a lot of my strains and left me in a dysbiosis in the small intestine of you know, that's, that's been the problem. And I've been successful at cutting them off, but then it comes back because my theory is that's why I'm here or that's why I brought you here because I know that there's a strains or few strains um, in my small intestine that have been affected that still have not come back. And therefore it leaves me vulnerable to this. Let's talk a little bit about some of these causes because just like anything, if you don't get rid of the cause, then um, you may not get well. I agree. I mean, the standard American diet, a lot of these lifestyle things have probably led to the die-off of these bacteria that we're talking about. But there's also, like me, sudden causes. Food poisoning um, was probably the first cause that was identified, mm -hmm. right? Certain people, you know, you get food poisoning. Your own immune system then can activate against a, a complex of nerves called the migrating motor complex. Its job is to move food through the small intestine so this fermentation doesn't happen, right? And so a lot of people somehow destroy that migrating motor complex. So there's a cause. Low stomach acid is a cause, but that can be caused by a lot of different things. Um, the, uh, the ileocecal valve being opened from the large, it's a, it's a valve that you know, prevents things coming from the large intestine back into the small intestine. There can be a problem with that. So, I mean, talk a little bit about some of these more popular causes, because I'm telling you, there's a list. We don't have time to talk to them all. Yeah, it's a real tangle. And some people, as, as you well know, you have to just go through the list methodically and, and try to deal with them. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, though, one clear cut advantage is in what we talked about in the beginning, that is getting rid of wheat and grains. Yeah. Because the gliadin protein of wheat, in addition to yielding opioid peptides that stimulate appetite also cause slowing of peristalsis of the propulsive action in your gastrointestinal tract. So a lot of people with chronic constipation or even obstipation, those are people who move their bowels every two weeks or so and live on enemas and stool softeners and laxatives. These people I've seen that happen, uh, go away within days of wheat and grain eliminate. So I think that's kind of a built-in advantage. The magnesium, that we talk about that causes an osmotic effect that is it pulls water into the GI tract also provides advantage because it accelerates so-called transit time. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't have any magical formulas. You know, if you have hypochlorhydria, like that is lack of stomach acid because you had H. pylori for many years that was unrecognized, or you had uh, wheat-induced uh, autoimmune gastritis that ruined your parietal cells, um, or whatever the cause of your, of your lack of stomach acid, there's no way to regrow the parietal cells, unfortunately. So you're stuck with doing things like betaine hydrochloride, uh, carbonated drinks, um, and other ways to acidify the stomach. And even that doesn't restore everything. So yeah. uh, you're right. There's a whole list of things to go through, not all of which we have a solution for yeah. that I'm aware of, like an incompetent ileocecal valve. I don't, I don't know of any solutions for that. Right. Well, look, I'm sure we can get the, they can get your book on Amazon. Uh, hold it up one more time just so people can, um, if they didn't write down the title, there it is right there. And uh, look, I, I think you bring a unique perspective on this problem. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the leaders um, in this research, SIBO, uh, that have been just, you know, putting so much time and effort, are, are, they, um, are they reaching out to you at all on some of your results? No, we will be publishing our own evidence, not so much in SIBO. The, my, my research focus is rotary. So that's one of the three microbes, of course, because that we haven't had a chance to talk about that. But one of the uh, benefits, I should say, some of the benefits of restoring rotaride, not just eradicating the microbes of SIBO, but there's also a boost in oxytocin. And that is a big deal because what we're seeing, so a lot of this was described in, in mouse studies from MIT from 2013 to 2017. Uh, and we're seeing this all play out in humans. Mm -hmm. So when we restore rotary in big numbers, colonize upper GI tract, et cetera, it sends a signal to the brain to release oxytocin. Hmm. oxytocin of course the hormone of love and empathy so people will say things like i i like my partner better i like uh my family but i like my co-workers better i uh, my favorite i understand the opinions of other people better even if i disagree yeah yeah right that's great that's really important by the way <laughs> yeah so we could change well, I, the world with one bacteria perhaps <laughs> i don't know you know i think that's right i think we're making people better human beings yeah, but the ladies go berserk. What kills me is ladies often say, "We don't care about that. We just want smoother skin." Because that's what happens. They people wow. start to lose their wrinkles because of the boost in oxytocin that causes dermal collagen to increase. Guys love it because you get a huge boost in strength and muscle mass. It also preserves bone density. You get deep sleep. On a, I'm a chronic insomniac. I now sleep like a baby nine hours straight through just from just from restoring rotarine. So, so Bill, I, I have to ask the question. I mean, because right now you have all of my audience going, okay, I want Rotary. Okay, I, I, I'm making yogurt. People are going to be making yogurt, all right? But um, I mean, can we make it more simple? Can't, can we put these numbers in a pill? Is, I mean, can't we get 250 uh, million strains, billion, billion strains in a pill? It's very expensive. I, I've tried. I have a product. Um, I'll just mention it's called gut to glow. It's, it's for the ladies, for their skin, but it has 40 billion counts and that is really expensive to do. So to try to get 250 billion say, and one, one thing I don't know, and we have not done this, we will do this. We have a human trial about to start. We're going to try to establish a dose response. In other words, uh, if 10 billion is helpful, is 50 billion better? Is a hundred, 200, a trillion better? 
Nobody knows. There's so little dose response evidence in the world of the, of the probiotics and microbiome. We will try to do that in our skin trial that try to look at the equivalent, human equivalent of 10 billion and 50 billion. Uh, but right now our, our product has 40 billion. That's and all, but it also has some other things for, for the lady, keep the ladies happy, uh, marine source collagen hydrolysis, hyaluron, hyaluronic acid, and astaxanthin, the carotenoid. Um, but so far, we've had a lot of good feedback, by the way, but, but nobody knows. Don't know. We, we will know probably by the end of the year when our mouse trial, first human trial, and several subsequent human trials get started, and we'll have, I'll be able to report back and say, okay, right. ideally... One of the other things I want to know is, are there better strains of right for this spe specific effect? Yeah, the oxytocin effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, thank you for your research. Honestly, so many lives. Um, there, you're right, 150 million people, most likely across the country suffering from this, most of which unknowingly to them. I, I don't know the percentage of that 150 million that are diagnosed, but I bet very few. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's why what you're doing, what I'm doing, I hope is, oh. is important because we're educating people and you're doing, a, you're educating doctors, which is fabulous because that's how we get to all those people who think yeah. that just avoiding nightshades is a solution or FODMAPs or just taking an anti-inflammatory drug yeah. <laughs> or taking some drug for a neurodegenerative disorder, not paying attention. Like there's right. so much here. There, this is enough to occupy several careers. I agree. All these food reactions, oxalates, nightshades, lectins. I mean, all of it. <laughs> I believe all those things are normal in food. However, our reaction isn't normal. And I believe that uh, the SIBO problem is most likely the causative factor, massive epidemic. Absolutely. No doubt whatsoever. I agree. Dr. Davis, thank you. Gosh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your research. Oh, my my pleasure. Your book. And we're going to follow up with a part two on this. Once this research is done, my little study that we're doing, yours, we're going to get back together on here. So we'll see Love you to. on a part two. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Bill. I want to give thanks to one of our sponsors, Cyto Defend. Look, at a time like this, I think that our immune system and keeping our immune system up right now is more important than ever. I can also tell you that I pay attention to the things that keep my immune system on par and healthy. So, so glad that Cyto Defend is one of our sponsors here on Cell TV. And it's a product that I use, my family uses, and hopefully you'll check it out. And by the way, you can check it out with the link right here below. If you wanna try a free bottle, you can actually get a free bottle, just pay the shipping. And I think you'll reorder after that, but check it out. If you're listening to this podcast and want to access the amazing CytoDefend product Dr. Pompa just mentioned, please visit freeimmunity.com. Again, that's freeimmunity.com. Well, that's it for this week. The materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you would like to purchase some of the supplements mentioned on this show, please visit the site as seen on chtv.com and use the code chtv15 for 15% off. Again, that's as seen on chtv.com. Use the code chtv15 for 15% off. And as always, thanks for listening.